Well, welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. This is Will, your host. Uh, if you are new to this this particular podcast, then welcome, welcome uh, aboard uh, the Good Ship Limehouse podcast. I am currently freezing, freezing cold, and that is mainly down to total exhaustion. It, 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 it's true that you shouldn't have children. I don't know who invented it, but it is a bad thing. Children, oh my, they just suck everything from you. They, you know, they, they, they test you beyond anything you ever could imagine. And, and I'm not exaggerating. Tiredness puts you into places mentally that cannot be conceived until you are there. I'm going to stop moaning now. Anyway, uh, roll out the vaccine. Roll out the vaccine. That's what I say. Let's do it. yippee ki mother trucking COVID. Anyway, this week is it's a great one. Michael McKean, uh, where do you start with this guy? Uh, okay, so uh, yikes. Came across him when I was probably about 10 or 12 years old. Watched Spinal Tap for the first time. Blew my socks off. Uh I've probably watched that film more than any other com- like comedy film. Uh, having said that, I still think I still think that I misquote <laughs> several times in this interview. I try and get David Saint Hubbins quotes into this conversation, and I mess it up several times. David Saint Hubbins is, of course, a character that Michael plays in Spinal Tap. You know, uh, <laughs> I mean that film is iconic, so I'm I cannot I can't quite compete um by my brain i can't compete with my brain and, and it's doing circles in terms of like trying to get the quotes right anyway during this interview and you'll, you'll figure that out what else has michael done more recently more recently he's been in uh, breeders which is a fantastic really funny it's really funny and 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 quite moving uh comedy that's on sky at the moment and with um uh, the old hobbit what's his bloody name um martin freeman you can't, I mean, again, Martin Freeman's fantastic. If you've seen Fargo, the TV series on Netflix, he absolutely smashes it in that. And uh, yeah, Michael turns up in that as um, the dad of uh, Daisy Haggard. Daisy, who is um, just phenomenal in, in Breeders. So I suggest you check it out. It's, it's really something else, really funny. And it's pretty brutal, pretty brutal. And is quite significant because... <laughs> Uh, Martin Freeman plays a, a dad who struggles with his anger. I don't necessarily... I do struggle with my anger at times, but not on that level. But when you're exhausted, oh my God, the triggers. And anyway, uh, what else would you know Michael from? Of course, you'd know him from uh, Better Call Saul. I mean, God, Jesus Christ. Chuck, Better Call Saul. It's... Yeah, I mean, I don't even... I, what do you say? What do you say to possibly put that in into context in terms of its greatness. The way he plays Chuck is, frankly, I don't know, phenomenal. Let's just use the word phenomenal because it's, it's I'm tired I'm tired, and I can't think of any other. I mean, it, it, yeah, it just goes so so deep. The chemistry that be, between him and Bob Odenkirk in, in that is just fantastic. You know, Slip and Jimmy and all that kind of stuff. God damn it. So good, Better Call Saul. I'm going to rewatch that. I'm going re- to dig Dig, dig around for that again. So good. But yeah, um, 
I'm going to be, I'm down in the West Country currently, so this isn't actually going out live live. This is, I'm recording this a few days before Sunday because I won't have the time. I'm, I'm taking a road trip with my friend Tristan, um, who actually, it's funny enough, he's actually calling me right this second. Um, you can hear my phone buzzing. Professional. Uh, yeah, so Tristan and I are going to go down to the West Country just to, to have a little break, which is quite needed. And um, we're going we're gonna to have a little chat, I think, for the podcast when we're down there. So for, look out for that. Uh, and um, just I'm going to soak up the countryside. Do it if you can do it. Now the lockdown is over. Well, the tiered system obviously is in place, but we'll just, you know, fucking hell. Just for the sake of keeping our minds, we'll pretend that it's semi over. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, if you do want to um, help the show, help the podcast, as of uh, as I'm sure you do want to, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I say that. I don't. I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what the hell you want to do. Do you want to? Do you want to help the podcast? I, I guess so. I like leaving reviews for the podcasts that I like. Uh, and if you want to leave one on iTunes, that's really cool. It does help the show an awful lot. It really does move things along. And it brightens up my, fundamentally, it brightens up my day. Like, when you're an exhausted parent, uh, things make you emotional that you wouldn't even believe. I see like a positive review on iTunes and it makes me a little weepy. Jesus. Um, yeah, and of course, find me on Twitter. Let's have a chat. Limehouse Pod, at Limehouse Pod on Twitter. And we're on Instagram. There you go. The Limehouse Podcast. And of course, if you want to check out my short film, somedaysadiamonds.co.uk. I've spoken about this short film now for, God, nearly a year. It's getting on for that. It's getting on for a long time now that I've been talking about this. Um, it's there for you to, to check out. It's called The Name, starring Tim Bentink. And uh, it, it's cool. It's like a 20-minute short film. It's, uh, I would say, like a dark comedy so feel free to check that out. Somedaysaredimonds.co.uk and, and and before I go, I'm just going to fill your heads with one more thing because if you are new to the podcast, you probably want to know what it is that I do. On a Wednesday, I talk to a new artist, a musical, a, mu- a songwriter or um, a band. For example, I've spoken to Greg Holden recently and not that he's super new, but he's very, he'd be new to you, I think, put it that way. And I'm, I, my endeavour is to try and speak to many new bands and, and, and get an essence of what is, what is out there still. Because I've, I've been in bands myself. I love that whole journey. You know, I love that. Finding out about new bands is so exciting. Their journey, uh, trying to break through in this fiercely competitive market. So that's what we do on a Wednesday. Then on a Sunday, it's more someone maybe a little bit more established, but not necessarily even established, just someone who's got a cool story outside of of music. So, uh, yeah, that's what we do. And for example, you know, feel free, check out Ralph Brown. Great chat with Ralph Brown quite a while ago now. It was fantastic. That guy, you know, with Nell and I, Wayne's World 2, Alien 3. It's so, it's such such a good chat. That's just one companion piece that might go well if you've enjoyed this conversation with Michael McKeon, or you're definitely going to. Anyway, I've rambled. I I promised myself I wouldn't, but I have. Enjoy this uh, episode. I hope you can forgive my geekiness throughout it. I was a little overwhelmed, as you're about to hear. Lots of love. Take care. Bye-bye now. (laughs) 
Hey, now I see a hey. I'm assuming now, it's you. Yes, that is that is me. Now, okay. yeah, for the for the listeners, Michael's wearing a uh, "Let's Make America Great Again" ha- uh, cap. Oh, I don't oh, know why. Oh, no. I don't. <laughs> if I wore it, it would be backwards, so you couldn't read it. I do have, have a red seen- hat. I have a red hat, which is very rare. And right. fans of a show called Smallville would just love to get their hands on it. It is the high school baseball cap of the Smallville uh, team, Smallville uh, baseball team. But it's bright red. I can't wear it anywhere because. Well, no, you can wear it to a Limp Biscuit concert. Do you, and you'd, do you remember you'd Fred- be at a Limp Biscuit concert. <laughs> that's no fun. So uh, let's move on. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's move on immediately. We've uh, the world's got enough problems, and Fred Durst. Um, hey, how are you doing? You're looking great, by the way. No, I'm looking kind of pink, uh, is what you mean. I, the lighting in this room drives us <laughs> crazy. We can't figure it out. It's a nice room. Doesn't have. It's got some overhead lighting, which we don't use because it makes us look like we passed away in the, in the '90s, which we may okay. have. But there's some kind of a purple cast to everything. I'm going to lose this one. This is also I don't I, know about recording, this. so there are wires everywhere. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it looks like there's a jukebox in the back um, there, but that's it's clearly not, but it looks like it is. It's just a towel over the back of a chair. It, it looked like a jukebox. I'm going completely mad. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, my my wife is a big knitter, and the house is full of Afghans and things. Those are crocheted, actually. I think I know the difference. And I was going to say, that looks more crocheted, really, than yeah, knitted, yeah, Michael. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be pedantic. No, but, no, uh, no, that's not curling. <laughs> no. Um, the uh, and the keyboard is is strictly a prop. It doesn't work. I, the house is full of keyboards that stop working on me, and I should have moved oh, that because it's it's literally uh, pretentious because it doesn't make a sound. So, oh, bless you, are. bless you. Um, do you know what I I I wanted to do like the um, a lineal chat with you about maybe little Michael to to boy Michael to man Michael, but then I just thought I'm just I know what's going to happen. I'm gonna miss out on talking about breeders with you because uh, i've i'm uh, i'm only six episodes six episodes in and um you've gotten the bad news oh jesus isn't that oh my shot isn't that an amazing thing and they did the, genuinely they did that uh on the day they showed me a rough cut of what it's going to look like literally 20 minutes after they had shot it they put together a composite of the two shots. It's me, and then it's the dummy getting hit. But it's, but even the mock-up that they did just to show me made my blood run cold. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in the in the. We haven't watched that episode. Uh, we yeah. always put off me dying for a couple of years. My wife didn't <laughs> see uh, didn't see Chuck McGill die until about a month ago. We oh, really. She hadn't seen the last episode. She was. Uh, and I'm the same way. When she gets killed in something, I, I have trouble watching it. She was killed in The Punisher recently, and I said, nah, I don't want to see you yeah, shot in the head, no. I mean, it's like one of those things, you don't want to see a partner, a fellow actor, partner, what, having sex, um, but you don't want to see them getting killed. But I no. mean, which would you prefer? Well, it, it, I don't want to see anybody Either. I know and care about getting killed while having sex. <laughs> Unless it's me having the sex and they're the ones getting killed. That's okay. <laughs> Speaking of which, actually, I watched Basic Instinct the other night. So, um, yeah, but yeah, that's another one. That's all together. And we, we're drifting away from breeders like I knew we would. Like, I'm terrible at this. I'm so, so poor. But, isn't, um, isn't Daisy, isn't Daisy amazing? I just love Daisy she, Haggard so much. 
God, she's amazing. Uh, Martin, Martin, everybody loves, and of course I do too. But uh, yeah, Daisy is is just awesome. I think she's terrific. Yeah. What a great. Yeah, and she's a great woman. Put it that way. Yeah, and she she plays your daughter, and uh, just doesn't just play your daughter. She inhabits the space like you wouldn't believe. It's it's more. It's it's so real. It's so realistic. I mean, you bring you bring. So I don't know. It's such a. Because you think, oh, you know, oh, American accent, is this going to work? And I, don't, I knew you were in the show, and I just thought, I wonder how this is going to fit. Um, and this is coming, some, coming from someone who loves Better Call Saul, so I was very much like, I know he's going to make it work. I mean, just, you know, but it's uh, very interesting to see how he makes it work. And I think you and Daisy, the chemistry is uh, pretty exquisite. Well, we just, we really, we hit it off, and, and she's so talented. And I had just seen the very first bit of her other uh, her other series the remarkable uh, mm. series. you know what I'm talking about right the uh, no I'm, no life. I don't I'm afraid back to life oh back to life oh god okay right yeah, yeah. well yeah, I do now <laughs> yeah. and she's phenomenal in that and I just uh, I just think she's great and yeah I would, I thought it was funny because I started reading it and there were no notes you know accompanying it except you know some of the people involved like Simon and, and uh, Martin and Daisy and, and uh, it, it just looked really interesting and I'm reading this I'm going uh, am I supposed to just do my you know my English accent the, you know David St. Hubbins number three you know and uh, whatever and then I realized oh he's from America and I thought Okay, all right. Where in America? And then it's, I don't want to narrow it down too much. He's a citizen of the of the, he's a man of the road. He's a guy who read on the road when he was nineteen and hit the road. Right, right. They left anything behind except the odd sperm and crazy. But uh, yeah, you know, I listen. I've I've known I've known funky Englishmen here in the states, and they've known funky Americans there. It's like uh, yeah, yeah, crossbreeding, I guess. It's great. It, it kind of, for me, it's like kind of like a Larry McMurtry character. Um, uh-huh. Not not from like Lonesome Dove, obviously. Although maybe I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a really good film, a, a book rather called um, I think One Day All My Friends Will Be Strangers or something. I haven't read that. And it's a it's it's fan bloody tastic. It yeah. really is. But yeah, you know, I I just love it. But um, that episode that you know the bad thing happens to you in particular was masterful writing. I really I. I really do, you know. I'm not just saying that to to blow the old uh, smoke up your ass there, but I really, boy, vey, it really, yeah. it really had me in tears as well, which Good. was surprising. Good. Well, I got to work. I got to work with Alan Armstrong, who's a guy I've really admired for a long time, and, and yeah. uh, Simon and Chris Addison. I I only knew him from from his acting work, and you know, as as a as a comic on on uh, Mock the Week, etc. And for sure, yeah. Terrific, and it's, he's such a good writer. I mean, he really is. And yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it was a very, very nice experience. And so when you, you first read the script, was it very much like, okay, yes, abs- this is quality, high-quality writing. You didn't have to deviate too much. You didn't have, not deviate, but you didn't, there were no concerns, put it that no, way. That's my favorite kind of gig. You know, I, I'm, I'm okay, and I can be called upon uh you know, if something doesn't make sense and needs a little reshaping, but it's really nice when there's not a when there's nothing like that in the wind. And Better Call Saul was a similar experience. Right. I I told them I said the only time I've ever questioned 
uh, a line on Better Call Saul is that Chuck McGill's grammar is better than the guy who wrote this. <laughs> and it was a little couple of little things. And there was a, a couple yeah. of moments of clarity. So when I say this, it could mean that I meant that he was breaking the law rather than, you know, and they'd look at it and go, right, well, we'll switch it around and, and boom. But there was no yeah, question sure. as far as like, you know, a Martian wouldn't say that. And, you know, it didn't have any of those moments. So that was yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so great. And it's so good to have you, um, so good to have you um, on our shore, you know, um, doing, you know, walking the the, pave, the pavements uh, of, uh, yeah, of yeah. London. Well, that's great. You know, it's like when you, when they fly you somewhere and they put you up in a nice hotel, if you just stay there, then you're seeing that part of London or, or whatever, and you're learning how to get to other parts of London. But uh, on this on this job, I really got a chance to see a lot of London that you don't see, you know, you don't go to. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they what were, your, there. what were your favorite parts? Um, well, no, I, I just like the, the little streets we were on, the little, um, you know, like the, 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 music. the Turkish, the Turkish restaurant that that area which is i i don't even know where we were i couldn't tell you where we were okay but it's yeah. like it's like you know we dash out of the restaurant onto the cobbled street and everything i'm, thinking, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. thinking two things one i really hate running at this point in my life <laughs> and two <laughs> this is the cobbled streets of london this is so cool. <laughs> um i had i had a different kind of experience when i did uh, good omens which i shot three years ago there mm. We were based in London, but uh, we, you know, we we went all over the all over the place. You know, we went to a lot of areas that I that I don't really know. And, um, couldn't tell you where they were because I just <laughs> they take me there in the dark, and I'd wake up the next morning and go to work. The reason I ask is because a lot of people are exceptionally geeky, and and if you name like a town or or something part of London. Uh, you know, it's like whenever you hear something read out on the radio, you know, I don't know, Michael from Cambridge has texted the show yeah. saying hi. And you go, oh, wow, my God, I'm from Cambridge, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, but um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, so, spent, like, we, we went to Woodstock a lot. We uh, there was um, a, an air base of uh, this for, for good omens. It was an air base up uh, up near there, uh, an abandoned air base that we shot many long cold days on uh, the big climax of, uh, of good omens and yeah. uh, but it was so it was great we were staying in this little little hotel you know there in Woodstock I believe and um, it's just ancient you know 200 year old hotel you know with the, the floors that kind of go like this oh, and yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, and with the Wi-Fi that also kind of goes like this <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and it was really beautiful, this little tiny town, you know, and, and apparently there was a big famous castle up the road, which I never got to. And, but then yeah. we'd get in a, we'd get in this, in our little, our transportations and we'd go to this bleak, uh, just stretch of tarmac with Quonset huts and, uh, standing around gawking at special effects we couldn't see, you know. Uh, <laughs> and those were some long days, but it was it was merry company. I was I spent a lot yeah. of time with Miranda Richardson, who is just one of my favorite women oh. in the universe anyway. And uh, we became became good friends. And, and David Tennant, Michael Sheen, and John Hamm. And, and, uh, yeah. Well, there's three guys right there, huh? Yeah, yeah. Anna, well, yeah. 
Liverpool. Yeah. God, yeah. Um, Turning so, off my ringer like a big boy here. <laughs> I'll check. I'll check my ringer as well. Um, yeah, it's on silent. Um, so should we go? Should we go back to the beginning, Michael? Should we go back to when you were a, a wee little laddie? Yeah. Um, and um, I, I guess for me it would be when you. I don't know whether you were listening to the radio, whether you were listen, watching something on the on the box, and 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 something spiked your interest or whether it was your your dad because i know your dad was um you know in the music business where but when did that creative like switch suddenly come on you know it was if indeed it did suddenly come on yeah well no it was really sudden i i, I knew that there, there were people uh, who made me laugh uh there were people who, who who entertained me uh one of my favorite records when i was a little kid my father did work in the record business and he brought home all kinds of stuff and he traded with his pals of from other labels. So I got a lot of stuff, Sweet. you know, and he would bring home stuff. And that continued until I was in college. I was going to NYU. And once every couple of weeks, I'd go up and, and I'd kind of go through his bins because he was still trading with his pal and everything. And it's like, oh, this, this new guy, this uh, Springsteen, that looks uh, promising. You know, so I was like, uh, I was, I, I had a lot of records that I didn't really earn or pay for. Right. It's, it was great. And my first thought was when, in 1972, when he he uh, left Columbia, my first thought was, "What's he going to do for records?" <laughs> <laughs> he started listening like to the radio, is what he did. But uh, yeah, uh, one of my favorite records was uh, a very sweet, funny kid song called "Kimo Kimo," sung by Nat King Cole. And okay, it's Nat King Cole. Great, wow. oh yeah, and you know he was he killed me, and he was on TV for a while. He had a, a, mm. a weekly TV show, I think. And my mom was just nuts about him. And, and we used to, mm. I remember seeing him on the, on TV and, and just thinking, wow, this, this, this guy is cool. And then it was like Laurel and Hardy. And, um, of course, my God, of course. Yeah. Can we, and, can we pause on the Laurel and Hardy thing? Yeah, because that, sure. that's a theme that runs quite heavily, but in, um, I think in a way that gets overlooked. I think if, um, Ricky Gervais has, has made a, he's made an effort to put it back into the, I mean, he's not the only one, obviously, but yeah. he's certainly made an effort to go, yeah, Lauren Hardy's a huge influence on me. Um, and, and Steve Coogan, of course, uh, in yeah. the new movie, Stan and Ollie. Yeah, yeah. But what, what role did they play in your life? Well, when I was a kid, television was, you know, still kind of getting it together. And a lot of stuff that was, if not public domain, was very cheap for the people for people to run, were old comedies, were old shorts, and they were easy to program into, you know, a, a half an hour of kids TV. Here's like a you know a ten minute short interrupted by a commercial, and and here's you know a couple of cartoons and and all this stuff. Um, so we got some of that stuff, um, but there were no real kind of there were no one was what's the word i'm looking no one was playing docent docent is that what i mean docent i don't, I, in a I don't know dear boy yeah in a uh, in a museum what's the the person who knows everything oh a know it all mate that's what they're called know it all know it all okay <laughs> know it all to tell us what we were seeing so we'd yeah. see this guy with the with the mustache like this you know and you go well who is that and he falls down a lot 
And then you see where well, you find out that that's Snub Pollard. And you found out it was Snub Pollard because there was a guy named Joe Franklin who had a national TV show, a morning show. And he would show, it was Joe Franklin's memory lane. And he was a guy okay. who, who was already kind of been around for a while. And he wrote a wonderful book about silent films called Classics of the Silent Screen. Uh, so he was one of those guys who knew everything. And uh, I got to yeah. a little bit years later. Um, but he would show these shorts, some silent, but mostly with sound, um, because they just, you know, people didn't know what to do with the silence, actually. Yeah. But, uh, Charlie Chase made some really good films, and uh, he also directed some of the Laurel and Hardy stuff uh, under various uh, pseudonyms and did a lot of writing for them. Um, uh, but anyway, others, others like that. We got to know the sign. I got to know the silent stuff a little bit later. Uh, Harold Lloyd and, and Keaton, of course. You know, uh, the the, yeah, the, the actual geniuses, the ones who had. Oh my well, god! This is, yeah. this is my toolbox here, and somebody else could maybe make uh, you know an ashtray with this stuff. But I'm going to build a car, and that's who right. Keaton was. Yeah. He was just that kind of like overreacher, and uh, remarkable. That's the magic, guy. isn't it? It's, it is. It's like it yeah. went in cellars in the party, you know, yeah. or, or what have you. You know, just that ability to, my God, like you said, that's such a good analogy, building like um, a whole car out right. or whatever it was out of an ashtray. You know, it, that's it's so cool because you, you he fills the screen with his, just with his eye gestures, right? He just fills right. it and, you know, creates well, the entire scene. My friend David Lander pointed out to me, and I really hadn't scoped it yet, you know, Sellers made a series of Pink Panther films that the, where the quality kind of, did this, you know, right, like the yeah. Wi-Fi in the in, in the old hotel, <laughs> um, yeah. and he said, you know, you know what the what the problem is. It's not that Sellers isn't funny anymore; he'll be funny forever. The problem is that they keep building bigger stuff for him to knock over. They kept, you know, they kind of James Bonded all the gags, but the thing, the greatest thing was like when Sellers goes looking and he looks and smells the cold cream. And he's got a little dot of cold cream on his nose for the rest of the scene. It's like, right. you can't get any smaller than that. That was just something that exactly. exactly. happened on the moment. And he wore the moment yeah. on his nose. You know, I'm, but when you build, it's like, well, this is the world's largest super collider. And in walks Clouseau. And you guess what's going to go through the wall? You know, it, it's sort of like things became about the size of the setup. And yeah. I think the gags kind of, you know, uh, went the other way uh, right yeah you see that absolutely. with, with, uh, with wc fields too the bank dick is one of the funniest movies i've ever made and okay, yeah. uh he uh he does some he does some big stuff and he does some takes that are kind of you know get into the red with any any takeometer but uh the little stuff he does just little gags that he's obviously set up to happen but still, they seem just like, you know, fortune smiling on them. It's, it's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like this is, um, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing like, you were you were born in um, 47, right? So. Good guess. Would, oh, good awesome. guess. You look bad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, did I? Do you think? I, oh, no. I, I just, I've I, got this I, uncanny look. I would say, I would say 60 max, Michael. I would say 60 year old max, you know, yeah. definitely. Maybe with um, hair on. <laughs> i i don't know it's a funny one because with um with sellers uh it's a temptation is to go off on a massive tangent with sellers because the man was 
beyond genius I, I mean i don't know what that means i don't know what beyond genius means if you watch <laughs> being there or what have you it's like you know it's astonishing work but for you like we, we brushed on um buster keaton which is a really great one yeah. um because people are going to know you for well certainly they know you for a more perhaps you know for stage not not everyone knows you for stage i i, I do know you for that i have not seen you uh, on stage yet yet lockdown die um, but um but what was the first thing that maybe drew you towards the more comedic side of, of things well speaking of the stage when i was 12 years old my dad took me to see um a a kind of a one-man show it was my first broadway show it was not a, a book musical it was called laughs and other events with mm. stanley holloway Oh my God, Stanley yeah. Holloway, are you kidding right. me? You know, and he had become a big Broadway star with My Fair Lady, and then he did the film of My Fair Lady, and so people knew who he was. Actually, the film might have come a little later. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, he he toured with a with a, uh, a show, and it was him doing old music, uh, old English music hall songs. He had a you know a quartet of guys singing backup, and he had a little little band in the pit. And I just thought it was the greatest thing. I had, I had an album, of one of those albums my dad brought home called Laugh and Other Events, uh, no, called uh, Ears All Away. And uh, so I knew a lot of these songs. I knew Dear Old Dutch and um, uh, Evans Dogo Spittle. And- uh, God, Jesus, that's such an interesting pathway into British culture, no? Don't oh yeah, know. yeah. Well, I had already, I well, I had already been a little queer for Englishmen, what with Stan Laurel and Boris Karloff, <laughs> you know, and B. Lily. I saw a little bit of B. Lily on live TV when I was a kid, and she was yeah. amazing. God, she was funny. Um, so anyway, I I already had that that thing, and I loved those song those songs and those sketches and those pieces. Um, uh, Sweeney Todd the Barber is when called upon to, to do a number just with a guitar, I often will do Sweeney Todd the Barber, which was a 1925 oh, really? song about Sweeney Todd. And I've, I've done it in New York and people think, oh, I see what he's done. He's taken the whole Sweeney Todd, the, the Stephen Sondheim musical and made one song out of it. No, no, this came 50 years before Stephen Sondheim. Had right. Okay. It's when you got it. Anyway, not worth talking about. But uh, yeah. But anyway, I saw this, and it was the first time it occurred to me that this was this guy's job. I mean, it was like I was invited to his house, and he was just being brilliant for two hours. But th this guy got paid for this to be in this uh, building where all the seats point facing you, and you get to have this <laughs> much fun and make everybody laugh, and they pay you. And <laughs> that little the light bulb. Time, it, yeah, it was totally like, well, and then, you know, a few years later, I started doing plays in high school and uh, it, it, right. it got out of hand. And it got out of hand, cool. right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, it's so funny. I love, I love, it's not, not, not necessarily the honesty, because I think there are some people that would go, oh, when I, I first realized I should be an actor was when I first saw Olivia and uh, Gilgood and, uh, you know, just, it wasn't the fame that I wanted. It was just simply within me and all that kind of crap. But I'm, I, I just, you know, the look at me thing, you know, the look at the look at me thing is, is it's, um, 
but it's not um i don't think that's a goodness me what what better word i don't know what a well, that, better word to use would be but arrogance but it's it's just a natural thing right yeah i i suppose it's natural but it, it is it is also accompanied by the actor's nightmares which all actors have with some regularity um where at your dreaming and in your dream you have 5 minutes to go on stage with a part you've never read to to do a part that you and you start looking for pieces of paper that might have uh is it or it's a summons and now I, so it's like every every actor has this nightmare where it's like and <laughs> yeah. early on my first actor's nightmares were the typical thing oh my god i don't know what i'm doing i'm out there and yeah. i do remember one specific one i was in still in high school and i was doing a lot of shows and i was writing shows and i was you know just doing stuff in high school and i had the nightmare the actor's nightmare where i go out on stage no idea what my lines are but i managed to throw a take to the audience like i had seen the pros do uh yeah. robert right you know robert morris is i know i'm sorry admin no. oh madman yeah yeah he was kind of the big boss who wouldn't let you wear shoes in his uh oh wonderful yeah that yeah. guy is amazing. he was yeah. he was the biggest star on broadway for you know 10 15 years oh well, there you go yeah i saw him do i saw him do how to succeed uh i think that's the only time i know i saw him on stage years later in truth but um uh yeah in in how to yeah. succeed and there were moments when it was like he looked and looked out at the audience and reminded the audience i got you i got you by the short and early you're, you're not going right. anywhere without me and it yeah. was just and i i threw that look to the audience in this dream and it wasn't an antidote to for all the other actors nightmares i would have in my life but it still is something to think about it's like along with the nightmares comes this trust and it's going to be okay the worst it's a platform yeah exactly exactly yeah man totally i get that you know i i i feel that you know i i um i mean i've i've never performed but um i i i mean i have but very am amdrammy kind of thing and um but i get that the terrible um terrible nerves beforehand but then you go what's the worst oh come on what's the worst that can happen yeah big yeah. deal someone's going to give you a line you get home you're not going to die yeah but i'm yeah. Just, you know it happens occasionally i was yeah. work i i uh played uh um edna in uh hairspray on broadway for six months. right yeah amazing time and i worked with dick latessa who was the who created the role of the husband uh, uh in the original company a bit the company i was in and uh and then a guy named peter scolari who was an old friend of mine who's still a good friend of mine uh he came in to play that role and he had done it before he had, he had, you know when when dick went on vacation and we were out there doing a number your special to me and we do this lovely duet you know it's high point of the show and it's lovely lovely piece and i opened my mouth and the line wasn't there the line in the song wasn't there oh, and God. i took a breath and a, a nanosecond later peter was there with the line and just sang the line and then sang his answer line. and it was like the audience did not notice and i after the thing i said a thank you and b how did you do that <laughs> and he says what Oh, you stepped into the hole I left. 
oh yeah, well I just knew what was coming, and I, and I was like, man, all right, this guy is good. God. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, count that on, is a great safety net. You count on people. Yeah, exactly. You count on everyone you're on stage with, and that goes for yeah. gags and everything else. You know, if you if you move on somebody's laugh, shame on you. Uh, you know, it, it's just like just stuff that you pick up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so I mean, you you. It's 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 tricky to try and fit everything in, in the next half an hour. Yeah. Okay. But but I mean, you've had, <laughs> you've had a, you've had unbelievable. I mean, you've got such an incredible body of work. It's 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 in, it's insane. I mean, and I would say almost um, kind of like. I mean, you can obviously uh, counter this, but I think a really perfect line through line of work in terms of the people you've met. It's like it's oh, like it's God. meant to be, you know, Absolutely. it's meant to have been. And yeah, well, like, I mean, just take Chris Guest, for example, go right. Yeah. Two years before that, um, David Lander, uh, was, who was my partner on the Vernon Shirley for years. We had been together with Harry Shearer and Richard Beebe in a group called the Credibility Gap. There is a through line. So David and I met in 1965 when we were at college together. And we had a lot in common, including Bobby Morse. We talked about Robert Morse, the guy I was talking about from How to Succeed. He was David's idol. So we became good friends. We stayed friends throughout you know, those years. I came out to, to uh, California in 1970 mm -hmm. to work with David on a, a show called The Credibility Gap, which later became a stage act with Harry Shearer. Um, and then we were, so it, there is this through line, Harry Shearer, of course, I've worked with in Spinal Tap and Folksman and oh my God. Unbelievable. all that stuff. Um, Chris Guest, I met two years later in 67. We've been friends for 53 years and hey, Lord. whenever he has something going, he gives me a shout if there, when I never need a hand with something, you know, I, I give him a shout. Um, yeah. Does he ever call you in an act with an accent? And uh, does he ever call you sort of going? He, the British he well, he's so brilliant with that. He's one of those great ear guys. Doing doing Spinal Tap, we just mirrored how he was speaking. You know, that was the only way we stayed honest. And still in the movie, you can see, hear me in one sentence. I say the I pronounce the word P A T H two different ways in, in okay. the same sentence. It's because I say it like an American first. And then I continue and say it like an Englishman. But now Chris never, made in, yeah. Those, yeah, Chris never made those mistakes. It's actually in the film. But Chris never was, his ear was that good. And his father was British and, and he, he spent a lot of summers, uh, you know, playing guitars and, right. and stuff. And he yeah. was, did you ever see the, um, the uh, Alice in Wonderland that Jonathan Miller directed? It's oh God! Shame not, on me! I, do, it's I don't. Not easily that. seen with Wilfred Brimbell as the White Rabbit. It, it's okay. Yeah, it, it's like and Sellers is in it, and um, Eric Idle is in it. Eric Idle. Oh. Yeah, I, I saw a picture of him in it. I've never seen it, but Chris was a PA on that. He uh -huh. was a production assistant on that, so it was oh, had a very exotic experience. And um, and like I said, he grew up with that, you know, with all kinds of dialect. But he's one of those guys who can hear uh, someone speaking in a Dutch, uh, speaking English in a Dutch accent, and five yeah. minutes later do a brilliant Dutch accent. Something he. But I mean, I have to. But but your British accent, uh, English accent rather, in um, in Spinal Tap is flawless. Uh, 
not entirely. Uh, it's called Chris's flawless. Um, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's your fuck. It's your fucking wife. It's your fucking wife. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. That's one of the best lines in in movies in in movie history. <laughs> you know, it's it's great. Wife. You know, it's not your. You know, it's, it's not, not my. Yeah, wife. you know. Yeah. Um, you must remember so many. Do you have? Do you ever just like? Sometimes I'll just I'll be watching. I'd, I'll just be I don't know working or what have you walking around, and a line of a film will come to me, and I, and it will bug me because I don't know where the hell it's from. Do you ever have that with some of your some of your work? You know, or just a, a brilliant line from it, and you'll go, "Shit, where's that? That's from my God, I did that line." Yeah, 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 yeah. That has happened. There, are some of my favorite stuff. Well, not some of my favorite. I, I love everything that wound up in Spinal Tap, but there's this two and a half hour cut that had everything in it. There's right, one yeah. thing that didn't even make that cut, and it it, it was because everybody and there was a scene. It was at the remember the hotel desk when they're battling the uh, Paul Benedict, brilliant actor, who, <laughs> twisted, who, twisted, twisted, twisted fruit. fruit. This yes, twisted fruit. fruit. Yeah. In that same setup, there was a moment, and it, it, it had been building because we're all standing there trying not to laugh because Paul is so so funny, and uh, Hendris just grilling him, you know, and uh, so he puts his cricket back up on the counter and so paul says you can't take that up to the room <laughs> tony says why not and paul said well it's enormous <laughs> <laughs> now we couldn't use that not because it wasn't funny it was because we all literally fell onto the floor when he said that right i guess you had to be there but it was also like it was just he was threatening to Paul was threatening to do away with us at every moment. He's like Fred oh, Willard God. that way. I mean, you can see us trying not to break up when Fred Willard, as the uh, the Air Force commander, is uh, holding forth. You can see uh, Harry actually has to walk behind Chris because he's yeah. about to go. You know. Yeah. Uh, oh my god I, I think you definitely feel that you feel that i mean you know when i watched that i was a younger guy and i didn't really know i didn't understand but now i'll watch it now and i'm like oh the, are those guys are they are they almost are they breaking down are they they're laughing they're the bit in when you guys are singing outside uh, opposite uh elvis's gravestone and he starts i mean the the ultimate scene for me anyway yeah, and, yeah. and uh I, it was years and years i you know watch it over and over again that those scenes but then right at the end um Harry is one of you swear one of you swears I don't know what you say uh, it's too much know, fucking perspective too much fu yeah fucking. and Harry's down at the end and he's and you see his bottom lip go like he's gonna he's crying because right. he's he's emotionally upset that you've sworn in front of the king you like when the, I first saw you've seen Peter Bull in Dr. Strangelove trying not to break up behind Sellers <laughs> have you seen it yeah. Sellers is trying to control his arm and he starts beating on his arm, and Peter Bull just goes, like, oh, 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 okay, I need to take a break. <coughs> yeah. I don't do a Peter Bull, obviously. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, just um, out of in out of interest, um, whilst you're speaking to a Brit um, Glastonbury Festival, I was there for your performance. Oh, God. I, it did... <laughs> It struck me um, what it must have been like for you guys backstage. Did you get an awful lot of people just 
an endless were they professionals or these they people great. They, no, these they were different... amazing they were amazing yeah uh one of the guys from uh kasabian drew yeah. a little uh on a napkin he did the stonehenge <laughs> and he put it on our put it on our our dressing room door which i thought was really sweet um yeah it was yeah. Really fun. it was it was awesome we had a great time god you must have been terribly nervous that's a lot of people yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I think yeah. the thing is, we we thought, well, maybe they're here to see Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Springsteen, too. But let's think of them as <laughs> our crowd, you know. <laughs> All half a million of you came to see us. It's a lie, but we'll live with it. It was No, well, it was it's fantastic i mean it's just it's, it's it was a it was a wonderful i mean to be honest it, it lessened the um the hangover let's put it that way you know the the, the dreaded five-day hangover but um so yeah no it's it's funny because talking about the pathway of you guys and i suppose you're i mean broadly speaking you know it's not in, in inherently true but you know your your work is so sort of, there's a core of you like that that tend to sort of do you know the um break Break like the wind. Oh, break like the wind. Oh my God, forgot. I've got the name of the film wrong. But anyway, um, if you're considering mighty wind and uh, yes, the mighty wind and yes, yeah, the mighty wind yeah. and um, best in show. There's like a those three alone. Um, what are you? I mean, it's those those <laughs> they just hits. Who's <laughs> what is what is what is the medicine? What is the the, the method behind that i mean is it is it just years of working together or well a lot of it is but uh chris i mean chris did waiting for goffman and it's a very small mm -hmm. cast compared to you know to the way it expanded with with best in show they realized they had to really you know eugene levy and chris you know needed to like create a lot of different characters so chris had to go out and like look for people you know look so he'd go to groundlings which is an L.A. company of uh, improvisational actors and comics. And that's where he found Jennifer Coolidge and Jane Lynch and yeah. Mike Hitchcock, who is an amazing uh, character actor and, and comedian and actor, actor, actor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Michael Higgins, I don't know where he, he came up with John Michael Higgins. Higgins is like amazing. Uh, he, you know, he is, or he was my boyfriend in, in Best in Show. Okay, there we go. Thank you so much because I was struggling with the name, but that is uh, yeah. yeah Higgins, quite he's now in everything, which is I think as it should be. He, right. He was in a, a series called Great News, which you, okay, yeah. you can find on net, Netflix, I think, uh, as the world's most pompous uh, newsman. He's brilliant. <laughs> uh, anyway, he's always great. Um, uh, yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah, it's like there's a certain. As Chris says, not everybody can do this work. You know, he mm -hmm. says there are wonderfully funny actors that he wouldn't uh, that he wouldn't hire because what they are is great interpretive, uh, you know, uh, actors of of other people's written word or yeah, the scripted yeah. page. This is these are these films are improvised, so they're not conventional in that way. So, you know, he'd find these people who can do it, who can do it forever, can do it till the cows come home. 
Uh, Fred yeah. Willard was one of those. I mean, guys, you you wouldn't make a film about Fred Willard, you know, because Fred Willard. We have to. I yeah. mean, yeah. But God rest his soul. You know, un unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, you have the the moments in Best in Show, I suppose, where he's showing, um, as it, it's Eugene Levy and uh, Catherine O'Hara to the to the storage cupboard. Yeah, that's the only place that they can stay. Um, Begley. That moment. A, a Begley is doing that. Fred, oh, is it? Fred was Fred was the uh, with with Jim Piddick. He was the commentator. Oh my God! Of course, right. yeah. I'm I'm absolutely terrible. I'm a, I'm know, a, I'm a terrible shower. No, <laughs> I'm and and then at the aerodrome uh, in Spinal Tap, because my hair is a little shaggy. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, oh he's, God. Um, yeah. yeah, but anyway, Chris put together a company that could could do that forever, you know. And then yeah. every now and then he cuts his cut, and let's do something else, you know, and. Uh, he would cover every scene at least twice, and that was mm. mostly from different angles. But he said, "Don't stick to what you did last time. Mm. Make your same points, you know. But if you have a better way to say it, say it now." And uh, it, it kind of works out. So, what's your take on that then? If you've got two, you've got two goes at one scene. You know, you've got two, and you can. Is that is that pressure or is that a no. release valve that, to know that you've got that one to fall back on? No, you just know that. Yeah. I think after every take, you got to look at each other, people who were in this scene, and go, "That was fun." And then if he says, "Do it again," it's like, "Yeah, let's do it again." Yeah. And knowing that it didn't have to stick to anything, knowing that if something occurs to us that's, you know, that's better, uh, or you stick to your guns. Uh, there was a scene in Best in Show. Catherine O'Hara's character, of course, has slept with everybody, and guys <laughs> keep showing up. So, uh, yeah, so there was a scene, it was, it was me and Higgins and uh, Catherine and Eugene, and we're kind of, it's a meet and greet, we're just kind of chatting, and a guy comes up and says hi to uh, Catherine's character, and she's like, I know. Oh, I another know. one. We shot it three times, different yeah. angles and everything, and every time the guy showed up, Catherine would go bright red. It was no every time. And I told her this. I didn't have to do that. She was, she's like, what are you talking about? It's just that she, she played the moment. And the moment was, oh, my God, here's another one. Yeah. And she got bright, bright red. It was That's extraordinary. Yeah. That, is, that really is, isn't it? That's extraordinary. Yeah. God. It's like a sub. How do you how do you get that good that your subconscious enables you to act like that? Well, she is that kind of artist, and she started very young with uh, the Second City Company in Toronto, and mm -hmm. they're the ones who went on to do SCTV. Now, mm -hmm. are you aware of SCTV? SCTV I'm afraid I'm not. Stands for Second City TV. Oh, okay. And yeah. It's Eugene comes from there. Martin Short. Um, of course. Uh, Oh my God, uh, Joe Flaherty, um, Andrea Martin, uh, um, I'm forgetting, like Dave Thomas. You don't, don't worry. It's not an award ceremony. I'll, I'll, if you want, you can email <laughs> yeah, me the list no, no. and I'll put it on the show notes. You can find some SCTV stuff on YouTube. Yeah. And, and John Candy, great John oh, Candy, John. who was oh, one of the sweetest man who ever lived. Uh, Why can't he be alive? Why? I swear, yeah. there would be no, there would be no Trump, there would be no world <laughs> problems if Candy was still alive. My uh, God! You know what? He, yeah, he, he, he died very early too. He died in his in his forties, mm. kind of mid forties, maybe early forties, and it was it was, yeah. it was awful. Um, yeah. And he was also he was also one of those guys 
who was probably just two jobs away from doing uh, like a piece of work on film where everyone goes, shit, this guy can actually act. This guy's not just a funny guy. He's really, really good. There's a, a book called um, uh, A Confederacy of Dunces, which is everybody's favorite book to, to buy for some heavy actor. It's got to be a big, heavy actor. Uh, and a lot of people had, had you know, uh, uh, options on it. And I think John was one of them and couldn't get it started. Mm. He was the guy who should have done it, you know. I mean, it's it's interesting to talk about John because, um, for you know, for a lot of people of my generation, he's he he meant, meant an awful lot, filled a lot of people's hearts with with some great laughter. I think uh, you guys were in trains, planes, and yeah. automobiles together, right? Yeah. And and he he was kicking off there. Like there was definitely moments where he's oh. giving it back to Steve Martin, and and you're getting a little lump in your throat, you oh. know. And he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't think yeah. about it. It's just, it's just too, too much. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I hate, yeah, I hate to lose the funny ones. God, Jesus, yeah. what a, but you know, um, uh, yeah. God, sorry. I've got, I've got stuck. I've got thinking about John Candy now. Gosh, um, Neil Page is the guy's character in that film. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's like you're. Um, I mean, I suppose when I talked earlier a little bit about this line that sort of. It's like what you, what you've done. It's like you meant you have you were meant to have done it. It's it's that's the, the nothing stuff. to be further from the truth. I, okay, I'm a person who became aware. Is not a big plus, but I became aware that you, nobody knows anything, as William Goldman put it. Nobody knows anything. He's talking about the film business. Like everybody mm. knows that a you know a film about two ballet dancers was not going to be a big hit. You know. Yeah. Oh, okay. What do you can what what can I tell you? Or whatever. Um, and it's true. Nobody knows anything. And I learned that kind of early. And I thought, well, since I can't see around corners, I might as well just keep turning corners. You know, I might as well just keep going. Uh, you mean saying yes? Well, uh, yeah, but also not, not making decisions based on, well, everybody knows that's not going to be a hit or uh, that's going to be an unpleasant situation because I know this, mm. not that person or whatever it's kind of about saying yes, but it's also kind of about not pretending to know where everything is going to wind up. Nobody knows that. Um, yeah. I mean, that so goes you, for everything in life that goes for, you know, my, my wife and I are together because somebody passed on a film role and the guy who was directing the film wanted to hang out with a guy who was in spinal tap and so they gave me a call and I said, yeah, okay. And I went up to Portland and I shot a film with Annette O'Toole, who I had met four or five times before and liked a lot anyway. And we became good friends and then we became, uh, well, we're married for almost 22 years now. So it, it's like, that's how things happen. Did we plan yeah. that? No. But did yeah. I, the guy who passed on the role guy was a guy named Ron Silver, who is now unfortunately not, not with us anymore. And every time we saw him, we'd say, thank you so much for not doing that stupid movie because now <laughs> I, have, I have this lovely life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, nobody knows anything. I suppose, I yeah, no, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I guess what I was kind of driving at was sort of like from the outsider's perspective, it seems like an awful lot of stuff you've done is meant to be, it's meant to be in the, it's been written like this it's in the stars kind of bullshit but i think i think to a degree that's just me talking a little bit of bs there i think oh, and I, I 
I love. Uh, you, uh, <laughs> yeah, I love. I love. <laughs> you must be a genius for planning things out so beautifully. No, hey, dude, I didn't say genius. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Rob Reiner called me a genius once. <clears throat> oh, okay. Well, full well look, man. Full disclosure: it was because I brought a, a ten-pound bag of pistachios to work, and he said, "You genius." So well. I and you didn't, it's not like you remembered that forever. It's not like you said, and that's going in the, no, the safe. 30 years ago. No, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. That. Um, Rob Reiner, there's a guy. I mean, yeah. directors, um, and we've mentioned, we've mentioned Chris, Chris, Christopher Guest. Yeah. Um, Rob Reiner would be right up there, no? Yeah. Is, is guys you've worked with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd, Marty DeBerge. I'd known Rob for some years before that. Um, and of course, I was working with his his wife Penny Marshall, who then became his ex wife Penny Marshall, and we were still working together. Um, but you know, it, it was uh, yeah, he was it was definitely a good person to know. Yeah, I mean, I think from from the moment of him uh, crossing his arms in um, Spinal Tap, I think it's just who's this guy? When yeah. I was a kid, I was like, who's who's this guy? It's it's un unbelievable. Or, or not crossing his arms, should we say, yeah. you know, failing to. Well, but, uh, yeah. yeah, it was a good intro, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we were first shopping the film around, we had a demo version of the film, a 10-minute demo, which had a couple of the numbers in it, had this kind of a sketch of the of the Stonehenge gag. Um, yeah. It had, you know, had some stupid things, the studio argument stuff, and so we had this kind of 10 minute telling of the story. It was called Spinal Tap, The Final Tour. And uh, so we would show this around to people. And the thing is, the, the people kept telling us, no, you got, it's not enough of a gag here. It's gotta be more of a gag. We gotta tell people early that it's all a joke. It's like in the beginning of Airplane, when they have the Jaws music and you see the fin of the, of the, uh, the sure. you go through the clouds, that tells people it's a joke. Yeah. But surely they'd figure it out in the next 45 seconds. <laughs> and there were other people who told us, yeah, you know what, though? The guys have to be more like Kiss. You got to do the big, the makeup and the, and okay. it was just like, yeah, if we were doing a Kiss parody, yeah. perhaps, but we're creating something that could exist in another universe that's, you know, we don't reference yeah. anybody real, any real rockers in this movie except for Elvis. Yeah. Oh, and the White Album. Yeah. One reference to the White Album, but we don't say Beatles. So yeah, well, no, I see, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really in another another universe. <clears throat> but no, it's, it's interesting you make that point because uh, Noel Gallagher famously walked out of Spinal Tap because he thought it was yeah. a, a shit documentary. <laughs> oh, I don't. I, that that may be true. That may be true. Yeah, um, yeah Paul Schrader, the director I was working with, um, he said, "Yeah, I ran into Ozzy Osbourne uh, at this." club he was in chicago and i told him that i was working with you and he didn't know who you were and i said well he's got one of the guys from spinal tap and ozzy said oh oh i hated that movie and paul said you're wrong <laughs> you're right said, if you hate that movie you're wrong and of course what what ozzy meant was it was too close to the bone steve tyler right same thing he saw us and oh like bad bad luck yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean god any band i think any band that yeah it's just it's just it's to check a checklist am i being too spinal tap in this moment oh uh, yeah, okay yeah, you know, yeah. all those things happen but um yeah would, would you be okay to sidestep to um or pivot to um 
Better Call Saul um, sure. and, and how that came about, how you how you came, how that script landed in your lap? I was, I had worked with Vince Gilligan. Uh, he and his writing partner at the time, Frank Spotnitz, who was one of the big, big wigs over at, uh, at X-Files. They had written. Oh yeah, you, you did. You, I, I remember you being in the X-Files yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, the character that, uh, that, you know, they, they, they let me do. And they just say, yeah, yeah, be good for this. And then it was one of those times in my life I go, yeah, I guess I don't have to audition for so much anymore. They just know that I'm maybe going to be the right guy. So they gave me a shout and I said, this is really fun. And yeah. we did. It was fun. It was grueling, but it was fun just because the days were very long. And a lot of times we were out in the desert and stuff and it was, you know, God. And it was, it was fun. So, uh, <clears throat> but years later, and every time Frank or, or Vince had something going, they would always give me a shout and, and, you know, to see if I wanted to do something or I wanted to, you know, be in the running for something anyway. And it just didn't work out either. I, you know, uh, when he was first starting Breaking Bad, Vince had something he thought I could do on that show. And he gave me a shout and I said, oh, man, I'm headed to Broadway for the next Hopefully a year turned out to be three months, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, so I saw, I got a pass. So then when this came up, I was doing another show in New York uh, with Brian Cranston. And he, when we were about to go on at one point, he was LBJ. I was J. Edgar Hoover in this play. We, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we no, were about to go on. on. It was called All the Way. It was wonderful. So we were about to walk on and uh, he turns to me and he goes, yeah, you know, they're doing a, a sequel to Better Call Saul. You should play the brother. They're probably going to call you. And then we go walking on. I got to be J. Edgar Hoover for the next five minutes. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, but that's how I first heard about it. And sure enough, they gave, they called me and said, um, we think you'd be right for the brother. And let me tell you about what this guy is. <clears throat> Sorry. And it was Vince and Peter Gould. And they talked to me about it. And I said, this sounds like really like a lot of fun. And. I'd like to do this and uh, so that's kind of how that happened <clears throat> thank you thank you brian cranston oh absolutely yeah <clears throat> sorry do you, if, sure. if you want to get some water or anything you, uh, feel no free. no you you got scotch or something going there i mean i have how do you guess how how, how, how dare you shame me do you know uh, um do you know chris o'dowd Chris, oh God, yeah, 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 wonderful guy. You held that glass yeah. up, he could tell you what whiskey that was. See, that's oh, he's, he's a big whiskey guy. I, I, I don't drink, I don't drink myself, but uh, uh, anyway, so Pro uh, probably a good move to be honest, Michael. Well, it's in my case, it certainly was. Yes, I, right. I drink because drinking makes me very thirsty. If you know what I mean. I so, see. I uh, see. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't do that no more. Um, well, good for you. That's yeah. some good. That's a that's a good willpower, my friend, and well, obviously a, a journey. It's having no choice. Yeah. Yeah. My my story isn't particularly uh, unique, but it was one of those things. I quit drinking when I was in my twenties, and then later, years later, when I was in my fifties, I was working in New York. I thought, well, there's no danger of me getting in a car or anything here. I can have a couple of glasses of wine with dinner. But it snowballs, you know, because it's that's who I am chemically. So yeah, I just, yeah. you know what? Nah. So that's just that was. Well, it's a it's, it's a disease. It's in you, man. It's like it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Exactly. Yeah. You know, my father. My father drank. You know, and uh, not. It wasn't the guy who beat the kids and crashed the car or anything. But 
he was a big man and he took in a lot of alcohol and, and you know yeah but that's that's the that's the misconception of alcoholism isn't it or the whatever you know whatever would it ever whatever it is whatever shape it takes it's always well i'm not i'm not beating people up i'm not shouting yeah, at my wife that, i'm not falling down the stairs you know right. norman mailer had the, the lamest thing i ever heard he said i know i'm not an alcoholic this was when he was of course deep deeply an alcoholic he said i know i'm not an alcoholic because i always get up and have a big breakfast what are you talking about? <laughs> You're a brilliant man. That's the that's like orangutan right. thinking. That's, I, but yeah. I do admire the parameters that he's built for himself of denial. There, it's good. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and then he's you know anyway, the complicated, yeah, um, complicated writer. But, so Chuck, yeah, how? Um, I bet that was a wow. What was it like developing that character? It and was, where on earth did you start? It was great, and I'll tell you one thing. I've t said this before. The biggest favor that Vince and Peter did for me as an actor is not to tell me that this was a mentally ill character. And the writing was so good that it never occurred to me that he was, mm, because yeah. it's like, uh, you know, when you. It had to be 100% real. It wasn't something I was putting on, and it wasn't something that was a weakness or a failing. It was the opposite as far as Chuck was concerned. It was about control. It was about not yeah. having control. It was about being out of two sons, the second favorite son, even with all I've, all I've done, with all that I've accomplished. I had a law degree when I was 22 years old. Where's... You know, where is the love? Oh, but we love you. No, where is the love? Where is the unconditional right. love that you're giving Jimmy? So all those deep things, they had nothing to do with the physical stuff I was feeling. I had to play that as 100% real, that it was really what I was feeling. You know, mm. We're the, the worst person to analyze, to psychoanalyze us is us. And Chuck yeah. was just very good at, at, at not doing that work. He, yeah. he was for real. So, like I say, they didn't tell me that this was a man with mental problems. This was a man who had a terrible, uh, an allergy. Uh, 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 he was uh, magnetic fields, made everything go kind of crazy. And I thought, well, listen, I, you know, I've known people who get really weird when they're Santa Ana wind conditions, which are these warm, still, these warm winds that we get here. And people really do go a little nutty. So I thought, well, that's what it is, you know, but it's real. It's something I really, really feel. So yeah. by not telling me that this was an illness, you know, I, I was free to play it as a real thing. If you play a guy who thinks he sees unicorns, you have to play a guy who sees unicorns. Otherwise, right. it's, yeah. it's going to ring false. So, but it was just, it's just when you first watch that again, I, I, I that was my first, I think, I uh, yeah, I, if cards out on the table that was my fir the first time i'd seen you in a serious role and uh -huh. um wow it was it, yeah it was in, it was pretty compelling in, in in terms of the commitment and and the marriage of obviously the the inch perfect spot on script writing tight as you like um yeah. no the, great writer match yeah the the eccentricities were just exacerbated in a yeah. wonderful way by by your and yours and oh, bob's chemistry oh uh, yeah yeah, well, Bob is amazing. I, you know, I I'd known Bob for a long time, and um, <clears throat> we had kind of a near a near miss at uh, Saturday Night Live. 
I came in uh, after he had been a writer and occasional, uh, occasionally appear on the show, but he'd mainly been on the writing staff. And uh, yeah. by the time I got there, he wasn't there anymore, but he was there sometimes in the office hanging out and he was, you know, still friends with everybody there. <clears throat> so I didn't really, really get to meet him, but you know, there was, you know, was one more funny guy in the room. So right. yeah, yeah. years later, <clears throat> years later when we were, jeez, uh, uh, I don't know when the next encounter was. I guess we ran into each other someplace and Mr. Show had already been on and I was a huge Mr. Show fan. And, and uh, so I told right. him, my, my place, we worship at the shrine of Mr. Show. And so then he offered me to ah, come on, do one. So I went and I did did a Mister Show, which was really fun. But then I didn't see him for years and years until, you know, I get cast. Did you think? Her. Do you think to yourself he he his age his aging is hilarious because he's kind of been the same age for like forty well four years, but like twenty five thirty years, right? Yeah, yeah, sort of. Yeah, it's a it's a funny it's a funny look, well, but um, you know. That's a difficult thing. When you really do flashbacks and you do stretches of time in a series situation or even in a film, you got to be really careful with that. You were talking about, you were talking about uh, Larry McMurtry. He has a book yeah. called Leaving Cheyenne, which is a, a wonderful book. Uh, but it counts on you being with these same people for 35 years. Right. And if you made that film, you know, they actually did a did a version of it that it didn't really work because they just kind of chopped it down to one little chunk. But if you wanted to do that film, you would have to cast at least two, you know, two sets of couples or tri triples. Or whatever. Yeah. And then yeah. kind of have them meet in the middle, makeup-wise and all that, if you wanted to do that. You know, unless you had Martin Scorsese money and you could... Right, yeah. And touch a frame like like they do, you know, to make younger and older and still have it look a little wax quirky. Um, yeah, the Irish thing that I didn't like that film. Well, yeah. I uh, I liked it very much, but but I had to. It took me a while to get used to the, the that strangeness, you know, the weirdness, the weirdness. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of kooky, but, but um, yeah. So I mean, like. How did you feel about Better Call Saul? Because I, I, in in terms of its success and your um, your your work in it that led to it, because you have such the, I mean, obviously Breaking Bad. There's there's like I said, there's no there's no loose change in it. It's all just so yeah. precise. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and also the the cast right of of Better Call Saul. Oh Again, God. you just it's just you're in you're in your trust. You you know you don't. You trust the directors, you trust the the actors, everything when you're watching it. It's a magnificent work. But what was your take of it when you were kind of like, right, that's it, the last day, got to wait for it to come out, got to wait to see it, and then it's a success. What were, what were those moments like? They were, it was, it, was, I, it was one of those things, you know something is good. If you're working on something and you know it's going to be good, that doesn't mean it's going to be successful necessarily. Yeah. Um I had a feeling this had a huge leg up because of Breaking Bad, which I was also a huge fan of and also knew where this sits in, in the mythology, in the, the, the uh, Saul Goodman mythology. So uh, I knew it was going to be good and I had a feeling that it was going to do well, that people were going to, you know, feel whatever way they felt about it, but that they were going to be compelled to watch it because, you know, let's see what this is, you know, especially if we mm. big uh, Breaking Bad fans. 
So when it worked out, it was really nice. Right before it ran, the first episode, uh, I was at the Sundance Film Festival for the only, my, my first and only time. And um, uh, it was fun hanging out and promoting this show that I had not seen a frame of, but also knew that I, <laughs> you know, I, I fully supported. And, uh, you know, I love Bob and, and, and Vince and Peter and all these people that I just worked with for a, a season. And, uh, you know, Jonathan Banks, who is like just amazing. Everyone's favorite, sure. everyone's favorite curmudgeon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Rhea Speed, Speedhorn, right? And sorry. Oh, race, uh, Ray Seahorn. Yeah. She, Ray, Ray, Ray Seahorn. God, I'm, Seahorn, yeah. I'm so terrible with names. That's okay. It's an unusual name. It's not one that yeah. you know, I'm sure people have called her Shoehorn and Foghorn and everything else, but <laughs> no, Ray Seahorn is her name. I had worked with Ray a few years before that, get this, in a pilot for an American version of The Thick of It. Oh, okay. the, I think I heard that yeah. somewhere. Mitch Hurwitz, who had done Arrested Development, teamed up with uh, Armando Iannucci. And uh, so they had this, this version of it. Christopher Guest directed. Uh, it was me and Oliver Platt. And uh, it was a, it was a really pretty good cast Higgins again, of course, yeah. And Ray yeah. Seahorn, who I didn't know from Adam, and she was brilliant and lovely. And we stayed kind of in touch. And then one day, wow! And they said, "Yeah, we yeah. this girl's uh, Ray Seahorn to play the." And I said, "Man, you got a, you got gold there." And right. I'm happy to hear that. And I was very right because she's that's one of the most interesting female characters in the last 10 years on TV, in my opinion. She's I, just remarkable. I abso absolutely agree. The dichotomy that you can constantly see going through her character. Yeah. It's yeah. something else. Yep. But um, just before we before we go, because you've been so generous with your time here, Michael. Um, God, it's it's hard because I, I probably should have um, asked you prior to this, but if, there, if there's one singular moment perhaps over your... I mean, gosh, it doesn't necessarily have to be happy. Uh, it could be sad. It could be anything. Hell, it could be a, a great bit of, of wind that you had once. Um, but a moment in your life that sort of um, perhaps stands out for whatever reason it might be. Um, I've got a, uh, a friend of mine who plays guitar. He played with, um, with, a, with a British blues band called The Hoax. And um, he, he can't remember much of at all. Let's say he was in America, but they were supporting Buddy Guy. Yeah. And one one night, they were, you know, Buddy's like, right, okay, last night of the tour, come up, come on, come on, John, come up and play guitar. Yeah. And he plays, um, and they're halfway through the song, and Buddy Guy turns around to him and says, play something, man. And so he plays this guitar solo, and he's playing with Buddy Guy, and and, and that moment for him is yeah. like, you know, all of it. But that's a pretty <laughs> extreme example. Have you ever played guitar with Buddy Guy, Michael? Can you top that? <laughs> No, <clears throat> I've stood in the audience uh, at the Blues Fest in New Orleans and listened to a, a big head full of Bill, uh, Buddy Guy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I ever saw him before or since. Yeah, he was something. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a handful of those with Spinal Tap because sometimes people would join us on the road, people who were vastly overqualified to be playing with us. <laughs> but we became friends with some of them, like Bela Fleck, who is, a, I don't know whether you know Bela's work. Uh, he is a genius banjo player. Okay, if you're right. a banjo player and you have won Grammys in 
jazz, country, and classical. You're officially a genius. Uh, and he's one of the sweetest men on the earth. Uh, wow. so he played with us in Nashville. Uh, and he brought along with him a guy named Vassar Clements, who was at that point in his 60s, I think, and had been playing country fiddle since his teens. So this was country music joining us on stage. Young Bela and the, the, the old man of the, of, the, uh, of Nashville. Um, right. And they played with us. In, and uh, right before we went on, we we're standing there waiting to go on. And he had been to the, Vassar had been to the sound check with us, with Bela. So we knew what we were going to play. We were going to play Break Like the Wind, which was one of our songs. that has like a lot of soloing in it and, and a lot of modulations at the end until, you know, the cows come home. And so <clears throat> he saw us at the, at the, uh, at the thing. And he, we played through the through the thing a little bit, and Vassar said, "Yeah, I can just use it to just modulate, keep modulating, keep keep playing." Yes, thank you. That's going to be amazing. So, but that's all he heard of us was that thing. Yeah. And so he that's not seen the movie. He had no idea who Spinal Tap was. Bela was a big fan. That's a different story. So, <laughs> right before we go on, there's Bela standing with Vassar, and Vassar's got his fiddle in hand. And he's seeing us in the wigs and the, and the wardrobe for the first time. <laughs> he's kind of like, kind of runs his eyes over us and turns to Chris, who is nearest, and said, oh, what kind of, what kind of music do you all play? <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the two worlds not being, not quite spanned. You know, so what's uh, what you guys doing there? Yeah, what's uh, uh, yeah? Do you uh, are we gonna do uh, will the circle be unbroken? (laughs) So, what are you talking about, mate? And of course, (laughs) rocks his ass off. The guy was like, right, spectacular player, you know, and Bala could just you know play the hell out of anything. So, uh, can he can can he play lick my love pump though? Oh, he question he could improvise lick my love pump. And he threw it in seven eight, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that I think that moment was yeah. was kind of a special one. That was really fun. Was really yeah, fun. But I mean there are a lot Fantastic. of moments like that. You know, uh, we got to play uh, Big Bottom with um, uh, David Gilmore. Oh well, there you go. And his band uh, in at uh, a, a an Amnesty. Uh, that, that is so random. 90, 91. It was brilliant. And he played, they didn't have enough basses for me to play bass too, but he played bass and his bass player played bass and Harry Shearer played bass. Chris was not, he was not available. He was off doing something else. So, uh, so we, we played at this show. That was kind of, that was kind of high times. Because I've never been a huge uh, Floyd fan, but I do love okay, yeah. David Gilmore. I think David Gilmore's great. So. Yeah, I'm just tr- I'm just trying to envisage a uh, very straight face, very sincere um, Dave Gilmore <laughs> playing Big Bottom. You can find it. But you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah that's where I'm going next. That is hey, good definitely deal. my next <laughs> travail. Yeah. Um, hey, goodness. As long, well, as, you're going to, as long as you're going to, uh, this is important as far as mm-hmm. comedy forming forming a comedy heart. When I was a real little kid, there was a show called Your Show of Shows. It was a 90-minute yeah. weekly show starring Sid Caesar, Carl Reiner, Imogen Coca, and Howie Morris. And the writing staff included Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks 
and later Woody Allen wrote for, for Sid Caesar and anyway, and uh, uh, Neil Simon. So it was like the funniest, and it's still the funniest stuff you can see. So if you go to YouTube, Sid Caesar, yeah. spelled like Julius, uh, you'll find stuff that you, you won't know how you've lived without for this long. <laughs> Sincerely, the funniest stuff in the world. So anyway, let what, that go. That name one more time? Sid Caesar. Sid Caesar, Sid Caesar okay. For a show of shows, Carl Reiner, all those things will, will hit. But, but. Will it beat the first time I heard Bob Newhart? I wonder, I wonder. Like that sold vinyl for you, that one, that, that old record. Is that a big oh one God. for you? He was funny, wasn't he? He still is. Oh, my. Un untouchable. Yeah. Un I mean, you know, I think I heard that um, for the first time in the late 80s or 90s. Really? And, you know, and, and you, you'd you think, oh, with all the new comedy coming out there, especially in in the UK, you would have thought that that would be too, you know, very, you know, oh, it's old hat, darling. Oh, but I mean, oh. my my God, driving that, driving that. The driving instructor is just... Yeah, just and oh. tobacco. Talking with her, with uh, Walt Raleigh about tobacco. What, what do you? What do you? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. You roll it. Well, there's a difference. There's a difference between being old hat and being back to basics. You know what I'm saying? It's not old. Yeah, yeah, no. Old hat if it works, obviously. Um, and you mm. don't want to put a hat on the hat. Uh, Newhart had a half-hour comedy series that nobody watched. It was a, yeah. a, a half-hour comedy variety series. It'd be one musical guest and a, and a big sketch and a couple of little sketches and, and a monologue. Yeah. So, and he had, he'd have guests on, peculiar guests, like Charles Lawton was on the show. But it shared a half hour with a news program called David Brinkley's Journal. And nobody watched that hour of TV on, uh, I guess it was NBC. Um, but he did a sketch which I he, did, he hosted SNL when I was there, Saturday Night Live when I was there. Okay. The first right. thing I told him was, babe, the sketch that was on was so funny. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a show, it was a sketch about a bunch of, get this, a bunch of hunters, duck hunters, are in a lodge. And they're wondering what the weather is going to be tomorrow. Because they're all going to go out and shoot ducks in the morning. So they're all drinking beer and everything. And so they watch the weather guy. So they turn on the TV and there's Bob Newhart as a weather guy. Just, well, there's going to be some rain and starts doing this thing. And while he's on, the ratings people call. And the guy answers, the, one of the duck hunters answers the phone and says, yeah, yes, we're wondering what you're watching on TV. Uh, we're watching the news guy, the weather guy, Paul with, you know, Macintosh. And uh, is it, how many people are there in your household? And he goes, there are 38 of us. <laughs> Somehow that number gets put into the ratings machine and it comes out, this guy's a star. <laughs> so the next piece is him with a variety show. Is Paul Macintosh doing the variety weather comedy show. <laughs> and it's the worst thing in history but that's the whole sketch and it yeah. was, I said that's one of the most brilliant setups and what a great payoff because there's this guy who's yeah. basically Bob Newhart his kind of lost character has <laughs> given a big break on TV that he doesn't deserve I thought that was a brilliant sketch I yeah <laughs>
That's brilliant. God, you've got so many fantastic memories. It's so clear. It's fantastic. God, my, for, my memories. I forget nothing. Yeah. See? Yeah. You leave that scotch alone and you'll remember everything. And it won't be pretty. Don't get How dare you, sir? Yeah, not all it's memories all I, need yeah, to be brought It's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> right, Michael, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank okay. you so much. You mean so much to us. Honestly, Michael, it's Get such back. an honor to speak to you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.